When faith is out of favor, is it best to just keep it quiet or to openly stand for truth and let the chips fall where they may? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Paul Dibdahl, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on mission. We're nearing the end of this, and throughout uh, this, well, this is the 12th week, I've been joined by two colleagues and friends from the School of Theology at Walla Walla University, Brant Berglund and Dave Thomas, and once again, I want to thank you for joining me in conversation. So, what about times of, of trouble and religious persecution, or just when Christianity and faith are, are seen in a negative light? Stand up, or kind of keep it on the low down, and don't, don't cause problems for yourself. What's the best, what's the best approach? I would say, again, it's there's a contextual aspect to it and maybe a spirit leading that's required um, when, obviously, in the uh, and what the issue is, too. But when um, Daniel's friends were faced with a, a straight-up question of worship, they refused to worship the image and stood for – literally stood when everybody else was bowing, and they let the chips – fall where they may. Um, I read a book, and maybe you two have read it as well, by um, a well-known family within our faith tradition, um, the Hazel family, about um, a gentleman in the war who decided not to carry a weapon. Um, and uh, to he, he was drafted. He couldn't help it. He had to be part of the, the Nazi military, um, but said, I'm not going to participate. And um, and but to save his own life, he was part of the organization. And and several times in the book, it said he quoted an Old Testament passage that said, "In times like this, it's best to remain quiet because the time the days are evil." Hmm. And it quoted that verse, and it, his quietness kept him alive through those times, right? And it's hmm. hmm. So maybe a sense of there's a time and a place for each. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, it it is helpful, and that great the great passage about. The, the times being evil, that's a good um, application here. And in a previous lesson, we did talk about sort of two kind of, um, I don't know if opposite is, is too strong a word, but different ways of dealing with challenge. One, we have Daniel, which you just referenced, and then we also have examples, of, uh, the example of Esther, where her identity, religious identity, ethnic identity is kept, is kept secret. Um, and yet God is able to work somehow through both of those situations. So, so maybe there isn't a right answer as to what is always best or, or what isn't best. Um, you mentioned prayer and contextual elements there. We have to uh, listen, watch for the leading of the Spirit. What, what about in our culture today? Would, would you say our culture is supportive or antagonistic to people of faith? It's increasingly antagonistic, quite dramatically so. But I live in college place and college place named after the college that I am a part of in a faith tradition in this community. So for me, I could I can hang out with all of you and rarely rub shoulders with others who don't see the world the way I do. And that means that it's, it's fine. Yeah. Not, it's fine. So increase, Dave says, increasingly antagonistic, but you point out, Brant, that maybe relatively speaking, if we look around the world, that, that this is not... Uh, it is quite friendly toward faith. There are many people who um, believe in similar ways. But I would agree with you, Dave, that it is increasingly more difficult to hold positions in life um, that seem to be biblical in the in the secular world than it was even when I was a boy, when I you know, forty forty five years ago. Hmm. 
So I'm going to press here into the story of Esther just a little bit more. Um, Esther not only keeps her identity secret, but she doesn't – and this is – we did touch on this before, and it's a little awkward even to talk about. But she 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 doesn't seem to protest taking part in an immoral competition to become the queen. So after – there's a year of preparation – um, she spends a night with the king and manages to please the king more than any of the other virgins in the competition. And then goes to the harem the next day. Yep. So is Esther, is Esther a good example for us? Well, Dave, I, you, you I, were kind I, of I, shaking I, your head there. I wonder you? how much choice she had about this whole business. Well, she could have refused. Couldn't she have said no? She could have, and it might have cost her her life. Yeah. Or, or she could have been raped. I mean, maybe so, the king likes a little pushback, you know? So if, if it's going to be dangerous to us, does that mean we simply don't? Well, I might, I might lose my life, or so, so I'll just have to keep, keep it secret. And well, you know, you, you, you forced me to go to the story of Polycarp, yeah, who he was the bishop of Smyrna for many years. He lived as a Christian mm-hmm. and became noted for his piety and his good works. And when he was an old man, the emperor tr- changed and took a very different attitude. And this man who had lived quietly was forced into the public, at which point he took a stand and said, not going to happen, and they, they burned him at the stake. So I, I think I think Brent is right. There's, there's something circumstantial here. And you know that for how much of Christian history and how many places have Christians had to be underground, mm. you know? You, you couldn't you couldn't be in public. There are places in the world today where they're Christians who live quietly uh, and keep their faith underground. So I, I I like your advice of a few weeks ago, Paul, where you said we shouldn't be too quickly judgmental about people here. Hmm. And by the way, there, there's a fascinating story in Luke 7 about that centurion whose servant was sick. Hmm. And I think he, 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 Jesus healed him without ever going there. And yeah. Jesus has this comment. He ne- hasn't seen such faith even in, yes. in Israel. Yeah. He has a, a pagan soldier mm-hmm. who is a man of great faith. But I bet if you looked at him and what he was doing, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have been – he doesn't look to be a pious man going to church every week and stuff like that. We probably would have struggled having him be uh, – a, a member in good and regular standing at our church, and yet Jesus declares him as a man of great faith. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a challenge thinking about the story of Esther specifically, partly because I mean this is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have the name of God in it anywhere, right? And mm-hmm. that's not that's not a commendation. That's an you can make all kinds of arguments from silence from that. But it is interesting that um, she says, "God, I, I've been put here for such a time as this for the deliverance of my people," and yet her own personal faith. Do we even know? Mm-hmm. You know what kind of a person of true faith is she? She's delivering the Jewish people providentially. We can but, see but, God behind it. But, but, Brian, pardon my interruption here, but, you know, we don't know how devout a person she was exactly. at the beginning of her story. Right. That sometimes the circumstance causes people's faith to right. awaken. And, and it, it might have been that she was rolling along without much regard about her, her, her religious underpinnings. And suddenly when this issue arises, she says, whoa, wait a minute. 
and she stands up and says, okay, if I'm here for such a time as this. Let's, let's go do this thing. She's certainly wise the way she handles the whole Naaman mm-hmm. situation, and, or, <laughs> uh, Haman, yeah. and she's not unwilling to call him out once mm-hmm. she has her position. So we know that she's a woman of some courage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, perhaps perhaps her moral issues at the beginning of the story aren't reflective of what she becomes. That's very possible. Yeah. So so I asked if, if Esther was a good example. What if I just asked the question, for you personally, what, what do you see as a primary lesson from the story? And it doesn't have to relate to anything we've talked about so far, but when you think of the story of Esther, what – What's sort of a, a I mean, preaching for, point, if you I mean, please? For me, it's what I was just alluding to, is that there are times when you have to stand up and be counted. There are times when you have to do that. Um, I'm not sure every occasion is one you have to do that, but there are times when the proverbial chips are down, you go do what has to be done. Well, and we haven't mentioned Mordecai yet either, mm. right? And the story of Esther is as much the story of Mordecai. In fact, maybe more so. He's more of a central character through a good portion of the book, right? Because his his discovering the plot against the king and um, and then later being recognized for that, there's a sense in which the providence of God goes even beyond their knowledge of how they're being used mm-hmm. until Mordecai says to Esther, you know, maybe maybe you've been brought here for such a time as this. Maybe this is the way providence works, and we're only now getting a glimpse of that. We, we didn't know. Mm. So I think God's providence is acting even when we're not aware of it. Mm. Maybe that's a preaching point. Good, good. And and as we talk, we're talking about Esther and her the difficulty it would have been for her to stand up in that setting. Um as we think about our world today, um, I know, Dave, I've heard you mention this at, at prayer request time in a number of group settings where you want the group to remember those in our world today who are facing persecution and threat. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just say a, a word about that? Well, no, I mean, I, I'm not somebody who puts my name on the list of those who wants to experience persecution, you know, but I have I feel very bad for people who face that and I, I, I admire them and, and even if they quote fail in the circumstance I am very charitable toward them. Um you know, it's very difficult to to face those kind of odds. And there are a number of there are a number of people in the world that are imprisoned today oh, because many, of their um, that are martyred that are killed many yeah. and not just for the Christian religion. Yeah. You read what's happening to the Muslims in China; it's horrendous, and I'm so, I'm shocked that the world is, so leaders are silent about it. Millions of people incarcerated, forced into slave yeah. labor, enforced yeah. hmm. organ harvesting, and the rest of us are quiet. Wow, I'm talking about people in power who should be standing up and. Saying no more of that. Are there things that we that we could do? I've written some letters to embassies, but I never get a response. So, <laughs> when we have students, you know, in a, in an age when activism seems to be kind of in on in vogue, right? We have students who, especially who who look at issues like sex trafficking and say, "Why are we not involved? I want to be engaged. I want to stand up. I want to be trained and do something." And they don't realize that by saying they want to be involved, what exactly lies behind that? We're talking about organized crime, right? We're talking about people with guns. We're talking about some very dangerous situations. It's not that something shouldn't be done, but it's like, are you sure you know what you're wanting to get involved in? And 
Mm-hmm. And maybe they are being called, and that's yeah. good. I just I don't want to discourage them. I just want them to be aware of, you know, what if, the times are. If if you want uh, safety, then if that's your highest goal, then these these wouldn't be areas that you would uh, become involved in. Yeah. Um, if your prayers for bravery, then indeed may God provide you <laughs> well, bravery and wisdom. Well, Paul, yeah. I think of that yeah. village in France that sheltered Jews on a mm. wholesale basis. You know, the whole community took the risk and paid a price at the end of the war. Mm. But you have to admire their willingness to do that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I'll just say very quickly a word about Esther. I think it is a kind of messy story with lots of questions for me. And we often even leave off the last part of the book, which is a very violent and, and seems to me a very vengeful kind of conclusion to the book. But I do think um, I do think we see God working in that book, even though he's not explicitly mentioned. But it's God working in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And I think in the Ooh, shadows, so sometimes in, in God the, is in the shadows, working in the messiness, <laughs> in the messiness of life. Praise the Lord! Yeah. Praise the Lord! Yeah. Thank you, Dave and Brant, for uh, joining me today, and of course, thanks to Rick Basket and Naomi Cueto, programming engineers, and to our listeners. Thank you uh, for joining us. I'm Paul Dibdahl for the Good Word. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.